It's going to be a great day. I hope you can stick around and uh, meet some new people. Uh, for those of you who are watching around the world, Vanuatu Orchard, I'm not Daniel. That's Daniel. I'm Doug. I'm his dad. 31 years ago, Rebecca and Daniel and I and some others started a church at Carbondale, which turned into the orchard. And since then, I have, uh, let's see, partially retired. Uh, Daniel's the lead pastor, and I offer counseling. If you have concerns, problems, difficulties, relational, personal, spiritual, please give me a call. You can uh, email counseling at theorchardlife.com. Love to sit down with you. Glad you're here today. I want you to imagine something. What would your life be like if you grew up in the Amazon jungle? No contact with the outside world at all. What would your life perspective be like? How would it be different than your life now? All right, with that in mind, how about if you lived 2,050 years ago in a Roman province? How would your life be? What would it be like? What would be your perspective? Well, you'd be living in a very difficult time because you would be living under the oppression of the Roman Empire that had conquered your little part of the world, heavy taxation, mistreatment, uh, executions, and tortures for those who did not want to comply. Death was uh, rampant through injury. Disease was uh, pandemic. Uh, death was sooner or later, usually sooner. Uh, you would be buried or burned, and you'd be forgotten. That's the end of it. Nobody believed you had any existence beyond that time. There were temples to the uh, Greek and Roman gods. You were expected to go and to uh, sacrifice every once in a while. But there were no moral obligations along with uh, worship. You could live however you wanted. The Roman Empire was marked by uh, violence, <clears throat> by mistreatment, by immorality, by ills of every kind. And... Uh, the gods were okay with that because they lived on Mount Olympus and they were usually partying and fighting anyway. That's what your mindset would have been like if you had lived 2,050 years ago. Now, something happened. Into this world came Jesus. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, Son of God. But those of his day <clears throat> would have regarded him as a wandering rabbi going through Galilee and Judea and teaching, and yet his life example, his teachings were revolutionary. They were startling in that Roman culture, and yet they penetrated that culture uh, like yeast until finally uh, it undermined, overwhelmed the Roman culture just by the teaching of this Jesus. Let me just tell you some of the changes that came about because of his teaching in life. Uh, even now, if you contrast now with then, almost everybody now in America believes that there is a, a God of some kind. Uh, benign, perhaps, maybe kind. Uh, almost everyone believes in life after death. Everybody, all dogs go to heaven now. That was a little different than back then, right? Uh, human beings are now uh, regarded of individually having great values, uh, being of great value, and uh, they are regarded as having individual rights. 
that, that wasn't true 2,050 years ago. Even the government now, private corporations, nonprofits, spend billions of dollars taking care of the uh, disadvantaged, the underprivileged, people who back in the day of Rome simply would have been tossed to the side of the road and left to die. There are now hospitals who care for the sick, even those who can't pay for it. Women in our day and time are empowered compared to then, and children are cherished and taken care of. In Garfield County, there are hundreds of nonprofits where people volunteer their time to take care of strangers and people who don't have what they have. Do you see how things may have changed? How did that happen? There has been no industrial development or technological development, no consumer good that has provided that kind of change in the human heart where now in America you can say love God and love people and you won't be regarded as insane. Back in the day, if you'd said that, you would have been isolated and regarded as that crazy uncle at the family gathering. It changed because one night angels spoke to some shepherds on a hillside. And these angels announced, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for a select few people. No, for all people. Today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Peace on earth and goodwill. Good news of great joy for all people. Announced to some shepherds on a hillside 2,000 years ago. Has it been good news for all people? I got to tell you right now, uh, even though angels did it, it was not a religious announcement. See, religion is, uh, religion is concerning yourself with uh, what you got to do to get God to like you and give you stuff. That's religion, earning God's approval. But this announcement was good news for all people with no qualifications. Now, Jesus began to change this in that uncaring world, <clears throat> hard scrabble. Jesus brought the Jewish teaching that had been sort of encapsulated there uh, by the Jewish people, had not penetrated the Roman Empire. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus added to it, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I'm not seeing any shock on any face. I tell you, the first time Jesus said that, there would have been absolute slack-jawed shock. Love your neighbor? Are you kidding me? I've got to take care of myself. I've got to put food on the table. It's hard. I don't know where the next meal's coming from. You're asking me to love other people as I love myself? Oh, no. Jesus said there's a loving God and that we are to love people in keeping with the nature of that God. And he demonstrated it, formulated it as good news that was spread throughout the Roman Empire. Now, Jesus expanded it. All right, hang on, because if you have coffee, put it down because you might spill it, the next thing I'm going to say. Jesus didn't just say, love your neighbor. He said, love your enemy. Okay, come on, guys. 2,000 years ago, if, if someone had said that, you would have gone like, what? My enemy happens to be this official of the Roman government who's dogging me and mistreating me. Love my enemy? 
Yeah, and do unto others as you would have them do to you. That was the first time in history that had been stated positively. Jesus was revolutionary. And what he taught was so revolutionary that it was good news from the top of the oppressors down to the bottom of the oppressed. Good news for all people. He didn't just teach it. He demonstrated it. Mark 1, chapter 40. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. I want you to focus on something that happens in a second, but it, changed, it has changed the world. Between the uh, recognition of a need and meeting the need, there's a second. And in that second, I want you to imagine the face of Jesus as he looked upon the leper, saw the request, saw the need. It says he was moved by compassion And he reached out and he touched that despicable, loathsome, social reject. There's no way I can give you an idea of what it meant and how people perceive that other than if you were to go out and stick your hand in a porta potty. That's about the way people regarded touching a leper back in the day. And when Jesus did that, moved with compassion, His loving compassion, not just the miracle. The miracle certainly uh, was a sign of his divinity. But his character and his compassion, loving compassion, is what was exemplified and what his followers would begin to embody. And if if you released into a society a group of people interacting with others who embodied loving compassion for others in a society where others were regarded as uh, irrelevant, to be neglected or mistreated, you would, raise, you would raise awareness. And that's what his followers did. As we trace that human history, we're going to see in a little bit a clear picture, but I want you to have in your mind, if you're looking, Jesus is looking to touch this leper You're standing over there. What does his face look like? Look behind him. Look at his disciples. What are their faces like? They're like, yeah, uh, uh." (laughs) get away from us. But Jesus is looking at the leper with loving compassion. And I want you to know, down through the years, as Christianity, Jesus' followers permeated the Roman Empire. It wasn't the miracles that didn't happen as regularly after that. It was Jesus' character and his compassion that compelled others, the population of the Roman Empire, to be willing to consider this wandering rabbi from Judea who had died crucified by the Roman authorities and risen again, that they would be his followers also. You see, when Jesus reached down... If you could imagine layers of social society, he reached through every layer 
the poor, the disadvantaged, the women, the children, the sick, the injured, and he touched the leper. When you touch the bottom with compassion and raise him up, you raise up every level of society that before was diminished. We value dignity and equality now. Jesus started that when he reached down and when he touched that leper. Now, Jesus' followers also um, continue to embody and demonstrate that. For example, and this is documented, uh, there were plagues and illnesses that uh, were rampant throughout the Roman Empire. It came to a particular town, the uh, inhabitants of that town would flee and leave the sick people and the dying people behind because they didn't want to catch it. The Christians, the Christians would stay in that town. They would care and nurse the sick. And they would bury those that died with dignity. And sometimes those Christians would catch that disease and they would die. But they did so because of another part of Jesus' teaching, that there was a life beyond this life. And so these Christians were brave in the face of persecution. They were so brave that they were willing to give their own lives for people they didn't even know. You see, Jesus reached down through all those levels of society, uh, lowly peasants, uh, the despised, tax collectors and prostitutes, slaves who were no more than living tools. Jesus elevated. We're going to see the influence of Christianity on slavery as it went through the Roman Empire. Racial discrimination, because most of the slaves, or a lot of the slaves, were people who had been captured in lands that the Romans had overrun, and so they were a different skin color. Racial discrimination began to have its demise in Jesus, and when Paul wrote this in Galatians 3.28, <clears throat> There's neither Jew nor Greek. You're all one in Christ Jesus. The division between black and white is nothing like the division between the Jews and the Samaritans and the Greeks. And it was declared that we're all human and we are all in Christ. There's no separation. Neither slave nor free men. All right, now again, you guys got to look a little shocked when I say this stuff because when this was written 2,000 years ago, it was completely overwhelming, and people were shocked. No, no difference between a slave and a free man? Neither male nor female. You're all one, all equal in Christ Jesus. It took a while for all this to catch on, for it to begin to be a reality. But this is where it started. There's no other source in human history, no other religion, no other philosophy that could have provided this kind of change. Women were considered property of their husbands. And the husbands were empowered by Roman law to be able to mistreat, abuse, beat, and kill their wives without any recrimination. And their children. The children um, were not regarded very highly. Most of them didn't live to adulthood. And when a female child was born, oftentimes, most of the time, it was taken as an infant and uh, laid out in the countryside to die. It was called exposing, and it was common. It was legal. 
And Christians would roam the countryside looking for these babies. And they would pick them up, and they would take them home, and feed them and care for them and raise them. That's the difference of the Christians and other people in the Roman society. Uh, social equality is something now that we are... It's, it's a buzzword, but it's also hasn't reached its potential yet, but still working. Jesus is what's, what is called table fellowship. Back in the day, uh, you did not have a meal with anyone who was not your equal, certainly not anybody lower. Jesus ate with all kinds of despicable people, and by table fellowship, Jesus instituted social equality. He raised the value of all people. But there's nothing I don't believe that gave more uh, worth, value, and dignity to people than this next teaching of Jesus. And that was that after you die on this planet, you, the way you look, your personality, you are eternal. You will live beyond the grave. And Jesus, by his resurrection, showed us what that could be like. A resurrected body that was beyond just a physical body, but still not a ghost, not a spirit, a personified being, and that we would live forever in heaven. Those who, Jesus said, would believe in him as Lord and Savior, would be transfer, would be with the Father in heaven, and a life beyond anything you could imagine life on earth would be like. In all, in heaven, as you looking upon the face of more love than you've ever thought about in your whole life, looking on the face of the creator of the vast universe, you will be in awe. After Jesus died and rose again, his followers wrote letters to be able to explain and depict how this worked out in daily life. Um, James, his half-brother, wrote to scattered Christians, and he told them that they should uh, actually, <laughs> this is a crazy idea, they should actually practice what Jesus taught and not just uh, think about it or, or just mouth the words so that they wouldn't be considered hypocrites. I know, this is radical. And James also said that a Jesus follower seeing a person in need and not caring for that need needs to consider his faith may not be what he thinks it is. Peter instructed them on how to respond to persecution. By the example of Jesus, when he was taken to the cross, he gave them a pathway. And persecution wasn't something that happened to people somewhere. Every day, probably in your town, somebody was persecuted, tortured, arrested, or killed. And it could be you tomorrow. And so you needed an instruction manual on how to do that. He encouraged them to be ready to answer when people ask, hey, What's the difference about you? John reminded Jesus' followers that saying they love God and not loving people indicated they didn't really know what they were talking about. And Paul instructed Christians in practical ways about what to do in the home. Husbands, love your wives and serve them. Now, if we were 2,000 years ago and someone read this letter of Paul and, and, and the and, that people are sitting there, and they're, they're born-again believers, and they heard this part for the first time, the wives would have gone like that. And the husband would have been like, oh, no, that's part of being a Jesus follower? Yeah, wives respect your husbands. Parents, care for and raise your children. 
in the nurture, admonition of the Lord. And by the way, at work, when your boss tells you something to do, do it better than anybody else with a good attitude. You who are employers in our valley know the value of people like that if Christians were to live that way. Now, this behavior, this lifestyle was so radical that starting with a few dozen Christians when Jesus was resurrected, about 100 A.D., and, and these are the estimates of historians. There were about 10,000 Christians. And then uh, they were in most major cities and rural areas. And by 150, there were 40,000. So in 50 years, it increased by, let's see, 40 minus 10, 30,000. And then by 200, it had increased 218,000. That is, we're beginning exponential here. By 250, 1.7 million. 50 years later, 1.7 million, and then by 300, 10% of the Roman Empire, 6 million people. And, and, and that is despite persecution and torture. If you stood up and said that you were a believer in Jesus, a Christian, your family could shun you, your village might run you off, and the Roman authorities would test you, and if you would not say Caesar is Lord, you could be signing your death certificate. It grew... Well, after the uh, first apostles, there weren't many who did the missionary journeys. It grew organically in the marketplace, trade routes. Somebody would come to your town, tell you about this Jewish rabbi who had lived in Galilee and Judea, who had died on a cross, crucified by the Roman authorities, and, and then risen, and, and all this incredible teaching about loving other people and loving God and, and equality and dignity and all these things, and, and, and people in your village would have been a buzz, and you might have said, you know, that is a lot better deal than anything else in my life in this time in this world. Christians weren't influential, but they were attractive by their lifestyle. You see, the life, now this is, remember it says good news for all people. The word we have two words, good news. In the Greek, it's, it's gospel, evangel, gospel. This gospel was the life teachings of Jesus, his death and resurrection. That was the foundation, doctrine, upon which Christians believed and grew deep lives and churches were built and flourished, authenticated by his resurrection. They went from cowards before his resurrection to those who would go be bold and bring the light of Jesus to the world. There were other messiahs who uh, thought they would, uh, let's take the nation back for Jehovah, uh, who died and, and their movement was wiped out. But this one persevered because of the teaching of Jesus. But they weren't persecuted because of being a religion. You need to understand this. There were hundreds of religions, hundreds of gods. You could believe whatever you wanted. You could believe your horse was God if you wanted to. Nobody would raise an eyebrow. But if you would not recognize the Roman deities, Zeus and uh, Diana and Isis and people, you know, those, those gods, if you would not acknowledge those, you were looked upon as an enemy of the state because your unwillingness to sacrifice and, and show belief into those gods could end up causing a calamity for the Roman Empire. And so it didn't matter what you believed as long as you allowed belief in all the others. Now, this would have been so simple when Christians were brought before the authorities and they were asked, uh, will you say Caesar is Lord? 
and offer a pinch of incense here on this altar, it would have been so easy for them to say, you know, all religions teach the same thing. All religions show the way to heaven. And the authorities would say, oh, good boy, good girl, you can live. Why did so many thousands of Christians stand there and refused to say Caesar is Lord, and they stood there and said, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and signed their death certificate. How can we Christians in our day and time say with casualness, well, all religions teach the same thing. They all lead to heaven. Jesus is not the only way. No. That, that kind of faith would not have permeated the Roman Empire. There's no faith at all. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can you say in your heart, silently, not out loud, can you say, I believe Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other religion, no other philosophy that teaches or leads to the same destination. That's an important distinction, even for us, in this day, in this time. You see, they weren't good citizens, but they were good people. In this society, where violence and discrimination, homosexuality, pedophilia, abandoning infants, bribery, corruption, dishonesty, thievery, they were living lives of an example of quality. Husbands were loving their wives and their children. Parents were loving their children. They were kindly to slaves or even freeing their slaves. They were hardest workers. They were honest people. In fact, I've got a document here that was written by Pliny the Younger. I don't know who the older was. This is just the younger. He was a governor in two provinces of the Roman Empire. He wrote a letter in 112 to Emperor Trajan, asked for counsel about dealing with these Christians that were brought before him and they were accused of um, refusing to worship Roman gods. Um, and so Pliny states that he gave Christians multiple chances to affirm that they're innocent, innocent. And if they refused three times, they were executed. What would you do? <clears throat> he gives details. Oh, this is the first uh, pagan account to refer to Christianity. And it provides some details about their lifestyle. Pliny details the practices of Christians. He says they meet on a certain day before light and gather and sing hymns to Christ as, as to a God. Now, why do they meet before daylight on a certain day of the week? Sunday. We know it was Sunday. Because back in the day, there was no work week. It was just seven days a week you worked. Every day you worked. You, there were no days off. And so they met before work so they could go to work, be good employees, and they uh, sang hymns to Christ. They would bind themselves by an oath. They pledged not to commit any crimes, such as fraud, theft, or adultery. And then they would share a meal of food. It was said the early Christians shared their food, but not their beds. He ends the letter by saying, Christianity is endangering people of every age and rank and has spread not only in the cities, but rural villages as well. Um, by the, by the, see, this is an enemy of Christians. And by the testimony of people who brought them uh, to accuse them, yet they also demonstrated that the Christians led a lifestyle 
that would be exemplary of being good people. You see, Christians followed Jesus and it integrated his teachings into their lives. Generosity, compassion, sacrifice, loving kindness. This is an, let me prepare you because you're going to be shocked. Um, forgiveness. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago for Jesus to say, forgive those who have mistreated you? Are you kidding me? You know who's mistreated me? My slave master, the, the Roman officials, the, the people in my town, my uh, brother-in-law, uh, all these people. Have forgive? And the Christians were committed to forgiving and not allowing bitterness to build a hold in their lives and to seek revenge. Those are things that distinguished the Christians. They gathered together. They would read letters from other Christians, accounts of Jesus, and, and they would build their lives. They, they spoke their truth. I'm just playing with you. Uh, isn't that wild? Now we, I mean, two people speak their truth. It's different, conflictual, but it's their truth. They spoke and lived the truth. By, authenticated by a resurrection. That was the truth that conquered an empire. That was the truth that made its rounds through that empire, gaining adherence all the way. Now, in 380, 10% of the population were Christians, and that included the emperor Constantine's mother. Now, I bet you at the home during the meals, he got an understanding of this Christianity. And you can't talk back to your mom. And so Constantine, in 313, after feeling that God had helped him win a battle, he made Christianity a legal religion. Not the official state religion, but a legal religion that you could practice. And he decreed that the goods and uh, buildings uh, that had been taken from Christians would be returned to them. 313. I mean, can you imagine from Jesus and the persecution and, and crucified on a cross as a criminal to Christianity now is a legal religion to be practiced openly? How could that happen? It didn't happen by miracles. There were a few, perhaps. It happened by his followers incorporating his character and his compassion into their daily lives. I wonder if that would work in our day and time. Now, uh, without threat of persecution, Christians were able to move and meet together. The leaders met in 325, and it was decreed among them that in every town where there was a church that they would also build a hospice. The hospice would be a place where people would be provided uh, medical care and food. The homeless could come to stay, the travelers, the injured, the poor. And later, that idea, hospice became hospitals that today are in every town. And they started here because of the Jesus elevating the worth and value and dignity of a person to be treated for an illness and not just shoved to the side of the road to die. That's the difference. Now, as early as uh, 220, Tertullian, who was a Christian leader in Northern Africa, he wrote describing the voluntary offerings to support widows, disabled, orphans, sick, and prisoners in jail for their faith. 
this kind of generosity did not exist in the Roman world. Widows weren't taken care of unless they happened to have a family. In fact, Julian, um, who was the emperor after Constantine, uh, he was tired of this Christianity stuff. He wanted to go, he wanted to, he wanted to take the Roman Empire back for Zeus. And so he declared that church buildings be destroyed and temples be rebuilt, refurbished. And here's what he said, quote, it's disgraceful when the impious Galileans, that was his term for Christians, support our poor in addition to their own. The Christians were taking care of non-Christians in addition to their own. And he says, do not therefore let others, these Christians, outdo us in good deeds while we ourselves are disgraced by our laziness. Roman people didn't take care of each other. And Christians took care of their own and those who were not believers. Now, we, already, we pointed out the miserable plight of women in the Greek and Roman culture. Mistreated, abused, and killed. Jesus elevated the worth and value of women to dignity. You've heard so many sermons about Jesus sitting and talking with a Samaritan woman at a well in a foreign country. Men didn't talk to women, let alone a Samaritan woman. He regarded her with dignity, equality. Women became leaders in the early Christian church. A lot of the Christians were women. They were, their value was elevated. And, and in 374, finally, one of the uh, uh, Roman emperors abolished a law that had been in place for a thousand years. This law, I forget what it was called, Pat or something. This law allowed husbands to treat their wives however they wanted to and to kill them and their children. That was Roman law. And it wasn't abolished until 374 when the ideas of Christianity had permeated the Roman Empire. In fact, uh, one of the contemporary writers of that day said, the birth of Jesus Christ was a turning point in the history of women. Down through history, there have been some setbacks. And in the last 100 years, women have had to work to get the vote, to be empowered. And, and, and now perhaps women in America enjoy an equality and a regard that has never existed before. Um, and it's because of the way Jesus elevated them to gender equality. And, and I don't think it's, I don't think yet women in our society have the place, the value, the regard and respect that Jesus intended. There's still work to do, right? But if you go to any country that has not been touched or influenced by Jesus and look at the lives of the women there, you're, you're back to 2,000 years ago. Because we take for granted what Jesus instituted and taught and lived and what the followers of Jesus embodied, lived, and permeated the Roman Empire and Western civilization. And we don't give regard or do to where it came from and what its origin was. Uh, back in the day, uh, human life was cheap. People were killed without much thought, robbed, executed, disfigured. Constantine in 315, this is shocking, but it won't shock you. He, he uh, outlawed the branding of the faces of criminals and slaves. And this is why he said he did it. Because 
the human face is, quote, the image of celestial beauty. <laughs> That's incredible. He's building on the biblical assertion that humans are created in God's image and all of us are created equal. Heard that? It didn't get here without a great cost. He even uh, changed the judicial system and called for speedy trials and the segregation of male and female prisoners. You see, we just take this stuff for granted. There is no other possible source of any of this other than the teachings and life of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Slavery. 30-40% of the Roman population were slaves. But when Christianity began to move, human dignity was uplifted, then slowly Christians began releasing slaves. And then later, by the hundreds, public ceremonies to release people regarding and understanding each, each were created in God's image and the equality of us all, regardless of skin color or where you were born or where you lived. In 315, he imposed a death penalty for anybody who would kidnap a, uh, a child to make it a slave. <laughs> wow. Uh, during Justinian's reign, he abolished the law that prevented freeing slaves. It was illegal to free slaves when Christians were fleeing, re freeing slaves. That's what they did. By the 12th to 14th century in Europe, slavery was hardly existent. And then when the New World was discovered and they needed labor, they began to bring slaves from Africa. It's a blight on Christianity. I'm sad to say there were people who used biblical fragments to justify slavery. But I can tell you this with great pride, that in Europe and America, eventually when slavery was abolished, the fight to do that was led by Christian people, legislatively, to empower the, the laws, the population, so that slaves would be free because all men, all women are created equal. Now, there's there some other, other, other uh, bad spots of Christianity. Um, and part of that was the uh, Crusades, the Inquisition. That was not a good moment for Christians. But I can tell you why that happened. Christians gained political power. And what did they do with it? They sought to use political and legal power to coerce non-Christians into a lifestyle that they regarded as being moral. And it's so bad that even some well-meaning Christians in our day and time will look at people whose lives do not... Uh, measure up to what they regard as biblical values, and they will, they will be judgmental toward those people. Now, how far away is that from what Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself? You see, we, uh, in America, we benefited from having some biblical values that were written into our founding documents and that were descriptive of our society. And it was wonderful to some extent other than the enforcement of those. And when that has been chipped away at, Christians, uh, 
express judgmentalism. We don't want to be known for that. We want to be known for the love of other people, the love of God that Jesus has called us to. And, and in this day and time, the freedom, liberty, dignity, individual rights that we have. Now, I, I can admit that individual rights are being misused by certain people, but where do they get them? Individual rights would never exist unless it was regarded that each individual person has dignity and worth and value. Where did that come from? The belief in God, that God is a loving God. Uh, almost everybody in America believes in God now. And now some people have a belief in a, even a uh, benign or, you know, kind of a distracted God. Or, or the universe uh, is just waiting to bring you whatever it is, as you call it, to yourself. That's a myth. It's a sentimental. But where did it come from? I can tell you that from the belief in uh, gods in the Roman Empire, you're not going to get to the belief of a loving God if you don't go through Jesus. And even though some people have gone beyond that and gone too far, it all started with Jesus. Heaven. Um, most everybody now thinks they're going to go to heaven when they die. Uh, if you go to a funeral, I mean, the person is already up there riding uh, snowmobiles and uh, whatever they do that they enjoy doing here on earth. But you wouldn't get that idea and those myths if you had not had a rabbi, Jesus, teach of a heaven and the heavenly Father who is there, whom we will be astounded to see. Other myths have been made up that say our relatives now are looking down on us and taking care of us. I can assure you that your relatives would not want to be looking down on your life or mine. That wouldn't be heaven. Or that they leave little messages. If there's the glint of sun on the dew, it's old what's-his-name saying, I'm still... <laughs> no! But you see, you couldn't have gotten to even these misrepresentations if you had not started and gone through what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. This impact. The government takes care of us so that we can pursue liberty and life and happiness. A government does that? Nonprofits? Companies? Provide for disadvantaged people? Volunteer? People volunteer to take care of people? Change their bedding? Where did it come from? You see... Uh, people in our day and time have never known a culture where there was not the belief in a loving God, and they have co-opted many of the values. In fact, non-Christians have absorbed the value of loving others so much that non-Christians are leading many of the nonprofits and the companies that take care of people. It's not just Christians who are loving the way Jesus instructed, it's been absorbed by others without the recognition of where it came from because it wasn't true 2,000 years ago. And then it became true. How did that happen? There was no industry or technology that brought that about. It was Jesus. When the angels sang to the shepherds, good news of great joy, that shall be to all people. Do you understand a little better now how that has come about down through the centuries and the millennia so that now we enjoy so many of those values that Jesus taught, died for, his followers embodied, 
And, and down through the centuries, we have come to be beneficiaries of what Jesus did, oftentimes without even understanding where it came from. We have had our dignity restored. Our value and worth has been established by the teaching and the life of Jesus. So that today, you can say love God and love people and not be considered insane. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago, 2,050 years ago, somebody would have said love God, love people. They were like, what? But because of Jesus, we can say that and we can live that way. It's our DNA. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we, we thank you uh, our words can't even describe our gratefulness for Jesus, for his life and teaching, his death, his resurrection, that we celebrate in communion with the cup and with the bread. We thank you so much that down through the years there have been brave and courageous followers of Jesus who have embodied his teachings and have brought us to the place where his teachings, his lifestyle permeate our society. We benefit from that. So, Father, we pray that we will raise up our lives in a society that even mimics those values, that we as Christians would love more fiercely, more tenderly, that we, again, will call attention to our Savior. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.